questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. Ian Morgan Cron is Michael's special guest for this episode of Restoring the Soul. Of the 149 episodes of our podcast, Ian has joined us more times than any other guest. He's a master teacher of the Enneagram, a powerful tool for understanding why we behave the way we do and how our personalities are powerfully influenced by our motivations. Ian is also an accomplished author who, according to Father Richard Rohr, has the gift of making his human journey a parable for all of our journeys. Now, among other titles, Ian has authored the best-selling book, The Road Back to You, which introduced the Enneagram to its broadest audience yet. He's an Episcopal priest, a trained psychotherapist, and the host of the very popular Typology podcast. Now, in this edition of Restoring the Soul, Ian will be making a very special announcement, and we're thrilled to welcome him back to the podcast, and trust that you'll lean in and pay close attention to their conversation. Now, if you'd like to know more about Ian, visit ianmorgancron.com. So without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. My friend Ian, welcome back to the Restoring Soul podcast. Michael, I'm a fan of the show and I'm delighted to be back on it. It's been three and a half to four years since you've been on the program and the book has just been a wild success. So congratulations on that. Well, thanks, man. It's been a great, wonderful adventure. and I'm really grateful for it. You wrote your book right at a time when the Enneagram was really touching people and the response, not just with your very successful book, but so many other books, courses, teachers that have popped up. What do you think it is about the Enneagram that people have been so responsive to? You know, the Enneagram has a sort of a narrative form, so it's very accessible. It's uncannily accurate. Uh, It gives people a wonderful low-resolution picture of their and other people's interior worlds. And it gives them not only a description of their way of being and moving through the world, but also a transformational growth path. So if you take full advantage of what the Enneagram has to offer – you know, for me, in terms of personality typing systems, there's, I love all of them for different reasons, but I think the Enneagram is, is really superior. What do you mean by low resolution view? Well, you know, no test or no system, personality typing system could give you ultimate clarity about and, and fully unpack the mystery of the human person, right? So at best, you're going to get a low resolution picture. However, Even if you had 10% more clarity about your partner or your spouse or your child or your colleagues, that is a giant step forward in the evolution of your understanding of them. And uh, so so don't minimize even 10% more clarity. That is so important. You know, as a psychotherapist, people are always kind of looking at change in terms of black and white. I do have anxiety. I don't have anxiety. I do have panic attacks. I don't. And I often will talk about what if you could get 10 or 20% relief 
or growth or progress. And I think that's important for us to remember that a lot of times it's the incremental changes that add up. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, you know, and I would say that in my marriage and my friendships, um, in my day-to-day interactions, that 10, 15, whatever we call 20% deeper understanding of people's motivations and their way of seeing the world um, has radically changed everything for me. It's given me, I think, the ability to walk through the world with more emotional and spiritual wisdom. And uh, so, hey, I'll take I'll, I'll take as much as I can get from any source I can get it from to be a more loving, understanding, compassionate person. I uh, I will never forget the moment in Florida. Um, you had uh, through a friend invited me to speak at the Telemachus conference and I was hearing you and others teach. And there was this moment that it was the light going on in my marriage where I realized that this is how Julianne sees the world and where she realizes this is how I see the world. And it was so helpful to no longer have to personalize it or see it as resistance or opposition. And that's just so freeing. Oh man. And and Annie and I, had precisely the same experience, so much so that you know it. it we had several weepy moments uh, while I worked on that book and in, in the months that followed. Hey, you have a big announcement about a new resource, but I want to just come back to something we were talking recently, and you shared this uh, kind of funny but also really insightful story about you were in a coffee shop and you uh, somebody approached you and shared their number with you. Will you oh, share yeah. that story? Yeah, so I'm sitting in a coffee shop with a friend and a complete stranger, he was about maybe 22 years old, comes galloping over to our table. And uh, I guess he knew who I was. And he said, hey, uh, you're Ian Cron, and uh, my name is Brad, and I'm an Enneagram 7. And I was like, well, that's a big surprise. Uh, <laughs> You know, not many people approach your table bouncing like Tigger announcing their Enneagram number. I said, well, that's great, man. I said, so what are you, what are you going to do next? And he said, and then and he had a really big smile on his face. And he, as though he was really excited, he said, you mean there's more? <laughs> and I said, oh, there's a lot more to the Enneagram than simply knowing your number. And this is a conversation I've had a lot since the Enneagram came out. You know, a lot of people read it. They learn their number. They learn about a few of the quirks and idiosyncrasies of their type, enough to have a conversation at a party with another friend who knows an equal amount about the Enneagram. Uh, and that's, a, that's where they stop, which is so sad because learning your number is just the first step in a wonderful, long spiritual growth journey. You know, the pioneers of the Enneagram uh, did not understand it as a psychological trait personality system they saw it as a piece of spiritual technology that would help you do deep inner transformational work but learning your type was simply the beginning of the journey and so uh, i've had to tell many a person hey listen i'm glad you you know your type but there's so much more to the enneagram than than that and uh i i hope you'll delve into it and so for our listeners, I love for them to be able to have resources and access points where they can do that spiritual, psychological, personal, and ultimately overflowing to relational 
work that transforms. And you've got a brand new resource that you've been working on for a while that really takes the road back to you to a whole other level. Will you share about that with our listeners? Oh, man, I am so excited about this. We, we just finished filming over the course of three days a brand new course called True You, A Deeper Exploration of Your Enneagram Type. And what makes this a unique offering is it's actually a collection of nine separate 90-minute courses, one for each type, in which I dive deeper into Enneagram topics such as like subtypes and instincts and basic fears and desires and using arrows for not just for understanding stress and security, but for purposes of growth, passions, virtue, and the transformational path for each type and subtype. And it's, it's great because, look, here's the deal. You've been through them. Most of the time, courses involve you hearing about all nine types. And I think everybody should go to one of those because or read about them. You should know about all nine types. But in those courses, you get about 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes on each type, right? Because you only have so many hours to cover the Enneagram. This is 90 minutes on each type specific to that type. So we really dive deep into that type's strengths and challenges and uh, growth path. And, uh, you know, you could buy one for you as a two and then buy one for Julianne as a one or buy them all or cherry pick. I mean, I just think it's a great kind of menu offering of deeper teaching on the Enneagram. And uh, I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. When we were kids, there were, there were those UHF commercials, and it would be, be the first on your block to collect them all. And, uh, <laughs> and so That's right. I, you know, I did the math, but 13 and a half hours of you yes. teaching and 90 minutes on each number, your, your point is so well taken for me that I've gone to several different conferences. And because I'm more of a generalist, uh, and I, I don't directly use the Enneagram in my therapy. It's more of a lens and a helpful tool. Um, I'm always like, oh, give me more about me as a two or give me more about this specific number. And you're right. It's like 15, 20, 30 minutes, I think, is the, the most I've heard any specific yeah. teaching. So that 90 minutes, that's a that's a big deal. Um Talk a little bit about the technology, and uh, this is not sending textbooks to people's home through Amazon with highlighters and notepads. This is all obviously online, highly accessible. Uh, I have seen some of what you produced, and it's really awesome quality. But talk about just this is user friendly, where you can access it on any device, and uh, you don't have to sign up. There's no cohort or commitment, right? No, I mean, people could actually just visit typologyinstitute.com and they can just sign up for the wait list. They'll get an email in early October letting them know that the course is opening. And uh, that's the way for people to find out more, more about it. And yeah, of course, you'll get a workbook with it, but it's not, it doesn't involve a cohort, doesn't it? No, it's just you, the 90 minute module on your type and uh, a workbook and my ugly mug on your screen for 90 minutes. The video that I saw in the course, it's just so well done. The aesthetics, you know, I've, I've personally done courses and trainings for people where it's basically a bad Zoom recording, but it really is just gorgeous and so easy on the eyes. Shameless plug for this, but I really do believe in this and I'm, I've always been 
long before you wrote your book, a huge fan of your teaching. And um, as, in terms of the growth, how might this take people from the book and other books that they've read to going to a deeper focus? In 90 minutes, what are you hoping they get, either about their number or someone else that they care about? First of all, as I said, knowing your number is a great and necessary first step, right? But think of the Enneagram sort of like going to the optometrist, right? You look through that weird device he has and, you know, you're looking at the chart on the wall and he says, okay, can you read the first five lines? And, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. And then he drops a lens, right? And I say, okay, well, so imagine when you're, when he first asks you the question that, you know, you're looking at your type and then he drops a lens, which is a wing and it, and the chart gets clearer. Not for and me. Then, my OCD kicks in. Wait a minute. Go back. This one or this one? No, wait, go back. I have like 15 minutes and I can feel the optometrist's blood pressure rising. Oh, that's that's horrid. Um, and then, you know, he, he drops another one, which let's say is your subtype. Then the low resolution picture even gets wider and clearer than it was when you, as you go along. So, you know, we're we're covering a lot of information, but mostly too, we're covering, you know, well, okay, well now that you have this information about yourself, how do you grow in, in self-awareness and how do you grow in such a way that you are using the superpower of your type in service to what God is doing in the world and not in service to the agenda of your ego. So that you you just described really how it helps you to take it from the identifying your number to how it becomes transformational in the path. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you talked about your number, your wing, and then subtype. And and that's like the descent into more and more knowledge. Define what a wing is and then define what a subtype is. And then I've just got a couple of kind of friend questions for you that I think would be really interesting for our listeners to, to hear as I post yeah. those. Okay, so you're, there are two numbers adjacent to your core type. So I'm a four. Uh, so if you're looking at the Enneagram diagram, on one side of me is a three and the other side is a two. And so your, your wing, for me, would either be a three or a two. You're a two, so your wing would be either a, a three or a one. So one of those two wings is your dominant wing. The best way to describe a wing in its easiest fashion is think of it like salt and pepper. You know, it, it seasons your core type, your, your dominant type with just a little bit of that, you know, your wings, characteristic traits and features and gifts and sometimes challenges. One of the things that I've been teaching people lately about wings is reminding them that, you know, you have two wings I mean, you don't just have one wing. You have a dominant wing. But that other wing isn't, you know, not doing anything. No one's ever seen a bird fly with one wing unless it was in a circle. You know, I try to teach people how to access the energies and the gifts of both wings rather than just one. So that's it on wings. What else did you want to know about? Well, first, I just have to comment because, you know, I have ADHD. And and this is a true story. When I was... uh, uh, just graduating high school and early in college, Stevie Nicks had a song, just like a white winged dove. She sings the song, sounds like she's singing "Ooh, baby, ooh." You know, edge of seventeen, and I used to think that the lyrics were just like a one winged dove. 
that sings the song sounds like she's singing. So you've never seen a one-winged bird, but for years I thought Stevie Nicks was singing about a one-winged dove. How's that for <laughs> well, culture? I mean, uh, Mike, I'm glad you shared that story with me. <laughs> it, it, it gives me more insight into your uh, personal expression of pathology. There you go. It's the quirky part of me, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So define a subtype, because I think a lot of people hear that, but they haven't gone deep and don't understand it. Yeah. So easiest way for me to do that is to say that every human being has three survival instincts. And when I mean instinct, I mean at the cellular level, right? This is deeply embedded. And one is um, the self-preservation instinct. You know, how do I keep my body alive? You know, how do I stay alive? The other one is a, a social instinct, which in that situation, the person, we, we, all of us, you know, we have a herd mentality and we want to know where we stand in the herd because we rely on the herd for our personal survival, right? We don't want to be the impala limping at the back of the herd, you know, uh, where the herd can't take care of us should a lion pick us off. And all of us have a what we call a one-to-one or bonding s- survival instinct, which is, do I have a relationship with another person who would be there for me in a crisis uh, and assist me if I, if I needed help to survive? So we all have all three of those instincts, right? Now, when those instincts mingle with your type's passion, it creates three subtypes for each number. So for me, I'm a self-preservation four. You could be a self you could be a social four or a one-to-one four, right? Is the one-to-one uh, also called the sexual subtype sometimes? It, it, yes, it is. And I chose called one-to-one because sometimes people either say uncomfortable with the word sexual, or they say, I really they raise their hands and go, gee, I really hope I'm the sexual one. So <laughs> I, I, I'm now only using I use one-to-one instead. Got it. Um But here's the thing about subtypes. Subtypes are so important. I cannot begin to tell you. I mean, when you know your subtype, you know infinitely more about your Enneagram number and its way of being in the world. It's a a tremendous resource to know. What it really gives you is more nuance. And quite frankly, it explains why people of the same number can look so different. Mm. For people who can't find their number, this happens very often. I'll be with someone and they'll say, I can't figure out my number. And I'll try a few little things that usually work. And then I'll go, they still can't get it. And I'll go, okay, now wait a minute. Let's just go figure this out with your subtypes. This happened the other day. Uh, A young guy, I was at a hotel. A young guy came up to me. I happened to know who he was. He he sat down. He said, oh, man, you know, I can't figure out if I'm a three or a one. And I, I talked to him for a little bit. And then. I handed him a document. I said, I want you to go away and read about self-preservation threes. And uh, he came back and he went, I'm a self-preservation three. And he was kind of relieved and happy. And uh, now one of the features of a self-preservation three is they're perfectionists. So he was, you know, caught thinking, okay, three, one, three, one, three, one. What he didn't know is that there was a particular kind of three that has a perfectionist streak. Ah, uh, so I, we were able to hone in, but we wouldn't have been able to do that without subtypes. Yeah, that's very helpful. I kind of knew that concept, 
that the subtype takes it from the low resolution to the high resolution, but you just made it click. You know, there, there really is a big difference between a not so nice photo you take on your old iPhone versus a really high resolution camera when you're looking yep. at the sunset. It's dramatic. Yeah. And that's how dramatic it is once you know subtypes. And I think a lot of people give up. They go, well, you know, I've read the books or I went to this uh, website or podcast. I took the test. I really don't know my number. And that's wish- worth pressing into. Oh, yeah, totally. The, the only day, you know, it's always so funny when I, we get to, I get to the end of a seminar and I go, oh, and by the way, there's not actually nine types. There's 27. Um, and, but man, it's so rich and, and good to go down into that space of, trying to find out what your subtype is. Um, and in fact, that's particularly true for fours and sixes because the three variations of fours look so incredibly different from each other that they might as well be three different numbers. So just for fun, and we haven't together talked about my number specifically, but I'm the one-to-one. Talk about how as a two with a one-to-one subtype, how that and the other two types might be different. And you're welcome to, you know, to dish dirt on me if you need to. Well, no, I, you know, okay. So there are three, like as with all types, subtypes for twos. Uh, so let's start with the self-preservation two. So the self-preservation twos strategy for earning love and approval without asking for it directly is not through meeting the needs of others. And this is why, by the way, we're going to introduce another the world. We were we call it the counter type, okay? Uh, and the counter type is sort of an upside down version of the other two subtypes. Fascinating. Yes, it is actually. So this is what I'm saying: is that it, there are so many variations on a theme here, right? So their way of earning love and approval without asking for it directly is through meeting the need is not through meeting the needs of others. For them. Getting their needs met is by acting in this kind of childlike and dependent way. You know, like if you think about it, all children generally don't have to do anything to get their needs met, right? They get noticed and taken care of by adults who know their needs won't get met unless an adult meets them, right? And steps in and meets them. So the self-preservation to strategy for getting their needs met is to project this charming, playful image of a child who is so irresistibly cute that people around them can't help but take care of them as you would a child. So I have a friend who's a self-pressed too, and uh, she had trouble seeing this behavior in herself until she realized she was 35 and her parents were still paying her rent even though she earned enough to cover it herself. And she said, man, it was a huge wake-up call for her. Um, so self-pres helpers, they're more sensitive. They, they feel hurt more often than the other two subtypes. And when they do, they're more dramatic and act immature about it, again, like a child would. So as they mature, a self-pres too becomes more organized, responsible for themselves, you know, they have a stronger need for other, for order than the other twos do. So a quick um, question. Can people move or change subtypes, or are those more essential and in place? They, they stay in place. Okay, okay. So that's a little bit about the self-pres, too. You know, uh, I'm not going to give you the whole kit and caboodle on it. 
but you get the idea. Now you've met people like this, right? You'll meet this sort of person. Sometimes you'll even hear them regress into a childlike voice, you know, like, oh, honey, you know what I mean? They get this kind of voice that makes almost as childlike or adopt mannerisms that are childlike, you know, that's, that's that counter type self-pres too. The social subtype too, it's interesting. They're really comfortable with social roles. They're more friendly and outgoing than the other two subtypes. These people can seduce individuals, but they're more interested in winning the love and appreciation of larger groups of people, which mm. makes them natural public speakers. They're also significantly more ambitious than most twos. I was just going to uh, say. So much so that sometimes they look like a three or an eight. Yeah, I was just going to say this would be those ambitious twos that you talked about saying that the kind of uncharacteristic. Yes. Very driven. Okay. Yeah, so where the self-pres two is more childish, the social two is clearly an adult with a lot more strength, confidence, and power. Now, when they lack self-awareness, the social two wants the crowd's approval to feel their pride and inflate their value, right? Uh, when, when they're unhealthy, they often mistakenly think that others want to be like them. They're drawn to influential people who they believe can help them get ahead sometimes. Uh, they seem to know everybody. They're master networkers, and they often desperately want to impress other people and be seen as popular. So this too is a helper. They're a giver, but they they have this other side to them where they seduce the crowd, not a so much an individual as other, you know, as the sort of almost the stereotypical two has a reputation for doing. Now the one to one subtype, which is what you are right 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 so you you all crave intimacy and you you will actively work to find someone that's attractive to you and you'll turn on your charm with impressive effectiveness to appear more desirable to the other so when you're healthy like you're capable of forging deep and powerful relationships and you are generously giving of yourself to your partner or to a close friend or you're not as interested in having a wide network of, of friends as the other two subtypes. And for but me, that, could, that looks like a, a lot of attentiveness to the relationship, the friendship, a lot of checking in, caretaking. I'll never yes. forget the time. And maybe we talked about this before in some context in an interview, but I'm, I called you up and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Just thinking of you. And you, yeah. you pretty much called bullshit on me and you go, yeah, you're not, you're not concerned so much about me is like this is one of those times you need for me to kind of be there for you and I was like no no and you turned the tables on me and it was true but the the reflex was I've got to tune into you in order to be okay well I mean you were just starting the Enneagram at the time so that that you know just speaks to where you were in terms of self-awareness with it you know what I could pick up in that phone call was Mike is calling to tell me how much he appreciates me and how much he, he loves me and our friendship. And what I, what I could pick up was what you were waiting for was for me to express the same to you, because that's what you needed to hear at that moment. You were feeling insecure. And, and so you were fishing. Yeah. And I couldn't do it directly. Like I've since said, right. Hey, I'm, I'm struggling or, uh, yeah, this, this has been a hard season, or will you say a prayer or something like that? It's too vulnerable to have needs directly and be dependent. 
that's what twos are known for, right? Which is meeting the needs of others uh, in order to win love and approval while at the same time disowning their own needs, right? Uh, And they only know how to ask for them indirectly when they're not self-aware, right? Yeah. Now, now with your type, uh, things can turn south if all that gets taken too far, right? You feed on being desired by others. So if you're unhealthy, you'll do almost anything to win the affection, loyalty, and love of a potential or existing partner. And, you know, your emotional life will tend to be full of highs and lows. You'll have intense crushes, you know, as a young man, you probably did. Uh, Terrible disappointments when they didn't work out. And so, again, I'm only giving you a a, just sort of a 50,000 foot flyby of what the one-to-one subtype is like. But do you see how three are very different? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did, when, when you had me on typology, we talked a lot about codependence. And I'm guessing, because that's been an issue for me in the past is that it's the one-to-one subtype of the two that is most likely to be codependent. Yeah, I would say, uh, well, I would say that they're all dependent either on a crowd or an individual for their, for getting, gaining their supply of approval and appreciation, right? Yeah. Different kinds of dependency, a different kind of dependency, but codependent in all senses of the word. And your growth path really focuses on defining your own sense of self, your own identity, apart from a relationship with a special other. And this is true for all twos. Like uh, helpers need to spend a lot more time alone where they can find their identity apart from relationships. So solitude is very important for twos. Just getting alone putting your phone away where you're not checking Instagram or sending texts to say hi to people to remind them how much you love them and how, you know, <laughs> have you, did you find my phone? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, twos are always like got their phone up to their ear or because they see themselves only through the lens of relationships. Yeah. So let me, let me just hit pause. One of the growth areas for me or what I would like to think is a growth area is I mean, that is like textbook. And I've done that with you and we've talked some about that. But I now find myself just texting, et cetera. And of course, there's an upside to every number. And I will pause and say, what is behind this? Is it because yes. I'm feeling restless? Is it because uh, I'm, I'm nervous, anxious? And very often, if I've caught myself being restless and want to, want to reach out to someone for that uh, dopamine hit of wow, thanks. It means so much that you're thinking of me. Then I need to go sit still, or I need to go for a run and just enter into that restless space. I don't like that about me, but it's been really, really helpful. Oh man! And, and as a four, I've had similar experiences. You know, you know, Andy and I laugh. We'll get. We just we're in Florida right now, and we're renting a house for a week, and. Uh, you know, the first thing I notice when I walk into a house is what's missing. What what falls short of the ideal? And it may be the aesthetics or this thing. So it's not like a one. I don't I don't see the mistakes. I see what's missing. Mm. Right. What what falls short of the ideal vacation house? You see that? And I laugh when I come in and, and you know something bothers me about the uh you know, the decor or something like that. And this is missing. And we just laugh, but I can spot that in myself 
now so that I'm not like so many unconscious whores. I'm not always walking around in a state of disappointment with the world. Mm. Mm. Uh, I've learned how to be more accepting and grateful for the way the world is, not the ideal world as I imagine it. That's a great illustration uh, in real time about how self-awareness can impact our mood and our joy. And even, you know, if you're walking around sulking and disappointed because of something missing, that's going to affect your connectedness in your marriage and with your friends. So self-awareness is more than just uh, a kind of morbid introspection. Oh, Hey, listen, let me tell you something. Let me just give you a quick story. You know, I'm an Episcopal priest. I was helping lead a uh, Easter service at a friend's church. I'm standing up on the altar. It's a packed house. Everyone is singing, Christ the Lord is risen today, right? And in the front row, there's a guy wearing a blue seersucker suit with a bow tie. Standing next to him is his 10-year-old son in a blue seersucker suit with matching bow ties. Dad's got his arm around his son. Now, you knew I, you know I grew up with an alcoholic father in a pretty violent home. And I start, this little four heart of mine looks over and the envy, my deadly sin, starts to come up. Mm. And I start, I, and, and I'm thinking, oh, what if my life had been like that? What if my relationship with my dad had been like that? And suddenly, I actually know when envy is coming up. I know where, what it feels like somatically in my body. And I stopped and I went, Hello, Ian. It's Easter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know, this is the day of resurrection, dude. Now, do you want to continue down this melancholy path? Or do you want to join with the rest of humanity singing this song? It's your choice. I mean, you know, it's up to you. And so at that moment, I was no longer on autopilot. You know, 10 years ago, I would have just you know, unconsciously moved in that direction and gone to this melancholy, sad space, you know, uh, about my, uh, my past. You know, every number has a re- different relationship to time. And fours are always living in the past. They're always looking back. Or they're always looking forward to an ideal, idealized future. But most of it's in the past. And uh, that's another piece of self-awareness that's helpful for for people to, to know is their orientation to, uh, to time. That is so, so good. So we often think of self-control as flexing our muscles. And if it's a fruit of the spirit, as St. Paul talked about in Galatians, you know, it's something that happens organically, but we participate with that. And that, that beautiful, beautiful illustration that that was a moment of self-control where you didn't have to flex your muscles or ratchet something down. But like you said, it wasn't autopilot. You got to choose. And to just bring this all full circle, as we grow in self-awareness and then dare to step into this transformational path of the Enneagram, it gives us empowerment. It gives us a sense of we can begin to direct our lives instead of externals directing us. And what a beautiful picture, you know, that there's new life available, but that reflex takes you down a dreary road that's really not life-giving. Oh, incredibly so. You know, here's the thing, Mike. Most human beings think that they are more in charge of their lives than they actually are. Their ego would like them to think that they're more in control and that they uh, know themselves far better than they actually do when there are so many forces governing our lives 
from the shadows, uh, wounds, trauma, personality patterns, motivations, desires, fears. You know what I'm saying? Genetics, um, health issues. Yeah, yes. And so the more Joe, this was Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. All of that material lives underneath the waterline of consciousness. Now, the more of that material you can bring it above the waterline in and into the light of conscious awareness, the better off you're going to be. The, right. So if you know, the more you know about yourself, the better off you're going to be able to move through the world, being able to interrogate your beliefs uh, in the moment. Why am I feeling this way? What, what am I doing? And Enneagram just gives you a lens. It gives you a way to kind of get that material out from underneath the waterline of consciousness into the light of day. So you can, and of course that just leads to freedom. I, I have new choices today. I didn't have before I understood the Enneagram. And so back to this opportunity and this new resource you have, um, the, course that you're offering and i want you to talk about the website and all of that it really is this opportunity to bring it up above the waterline to bring it out into consciousness and to allow that change to happen yeah so the course is called true you a deeper exploration of your enneagram type and as i mentioned to you it's unique because it's nine separate 90 minute courses one for each type in which i dive deeper into you know, topics like subtypes and instincts and, you know, basic fears and desires, growing with your arrows, uh, passion. Like, let me just give you this. Like, in the road back to you, one of the things that I was unable to do because of space and time was to go into just how important it is to understand your type's passion or what we sometimes call deadly sin. Your deadly sin, I'm going to make a big statement here, is the source of your suffering. Mm -hmm. It is the lie of your type. Mm. It's, it says to you, it kind of whispers in your ear, if you do this, then you'll finally be happy. Yeah. If so you just me. pick up the phone and call Ian and go fishing for his, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, understanding your passion and how it fuels these self-defeating, self-limiting behaviors, man, just really... It gives you such a spiritual and psychological advantage. Yeah. And so that's in the course. Uh, people can go. I mean, the course opens in early October. Folks can go to typologyinstitute.com to sign up for the wait list. And then uh, when the course goes live, they'll get a notification saying that it's uh, open and available. I'm so excited. You know, so again, it's it's nine 90-minute courses, 13 and a half hours total. But, you know, you you probably spent 15 minutes walking me through the two and the subtypes and the idea of 90 minutes, just talking about what number one number I can't wait to watch all the other numbers other than what I got a glimpse of in advance. It's going to really be so helpful for so many people. Hey, I have two questions and they're kind of yes. two sides of the same coin. And then we'll wrap up because as you said, you're in Florida and you are going to apply more sunscreen Actually, I am. You're not going to believe this, but I have been stuck in the last two days. In I am in the sort of in the epicenter almost of Hurricane Sally. So this is a this is a a wonderful distraction that we're having this call right now. And are you like strapped down to the kitchen table or anything while we're talking? 
No, but there's probably 50 to 70 mile an hour winds outside. Holy cow. Well, that means all the more that you're taking time to do this, but hope you stay safe. What have you learned in the last four years about people? You've literally traveled all over the world teaching the Enneagram, and you've interacted not just as a priest and not just as a psychotherapist, but specifically as a teacher and interacting with all kinds of crowds. What have you learned about people? Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, you want to hear the dumbest answer ever? Absolutely. Uh, they're very complicated. <laughs> and and that uh and they're very beautiful. And they're full of, of so much goodness. And that's not a I don't want to be naive and say that there aren't impulses and instincts and desires that people have that are, you know, that are given. We all, we all have instincts that belong in the shadow and need to remain there, you know, but I find people so fascinating and and I find their journeys fascinating and and what motivates them interesting. And I'm, I'm encouraged by how much people do want to understand themselves, not simply because it's a, like some sort of narcissistic or self-interested exercise, but because they want to learn how to be more loving presences in the world. And they see the Enneagram as one of many tools, not, not the tool, but one of many tools to help them accomplish that end. You know, I, and, and, you know, I have to say my, like, for example, at just about every Enneagram conference I'm at that I, I'm teaching at, someone will come up to me and say, you know, the Enneagram saved my marriage. Mm. or the Enneagram helped put me back together with a child that I, that hadn't spoken to me in seven or eight years. Wow. Um, you know, or it helped me understand that I'm not depressed, that I'm actually kind of a naturally melancholic person who needs to understand where that comes from and self-regulate better. You know what I mean? It's it, So that's a lovely experience to know that, not only do I get a glimpse of their beauty, but I get a chance to get under the hood and help them make a few adjustments to the engine. Yeah, it's a, it, it's not just, hey, I know my number, like interior decorating and things look good, but there's really something inside that is shifting because of it. Yeah, totally. So what have you learned about yourself, especially in the last four years, with the success of your book and with your deepening knowledge of the Enneagram? Well, I've I've gained a lot more self-acceptance, self-knowledge. I think I've learned that um, I really am uh, a a beautiful child of God. Um, And, you know, there's no two fours that are the same, right? So I'm my own expression of that particular personality type, as is true for every personality type. Everyone's their own unique expression of their type. Uh, I've just learned to really appreciate the way that, that I was formed and wanting it to, I want to be able to move through the world with with more emotional wisdom. And it, it it's given me more of an ability to do that um, I've also learned things about myself that were unpleasant. Um, that envy, my deadly sin, is always lurking around in a new disguise. You know, um, I, you know, just that night, for example, I was at somebody's home. 
a beautiful, beautiful home. Much and, and they're much more successful than I am in a, in a similar kind of world. And I, I, I just remember thinking, man, why haven't I? What, what did I do wrong that I did? You know what I'm saying? And, and then before I reached the front door, looking at this beautiful lit house at night, I thought to myself, oh, seriously, Ian. And I've just learned to practice unconditional self friendship, to be able to laugh with myself about myself and you know just to be able to let those things open-handed just to let them go and realize oh that's just part of the game man that's just part of your game and it's brought brought a lot of healing to me and uh yeah i mean i'm not quite sure where where i would be without it at this point well thank you for sharing that one more time uh typology institute is yep. the website. And one more time, just the name of the course and the date for when it's going to start to release. Yeah. So the, the name of the course is uh, True You, uh, a deeper exploration of your Enneagram type. Uh, it drop, it, you know, the registration opens in early October and folks can visit Typology Institute, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Institute.com to sign up for the wait list so that when the course goes live, they'll be notified uh, about it and be able to get the course specific to their type. Fantastic. Well, there you have it, listeners of the Restoring the Soul podcast, a brand new, very, very helpful resource. I've seen this. I've seen the power of it. Uh, a brand new resource from Ian Morgan Cron, my friend and the author of Road Back to You. So thank you, my friend, for this conversation. As always, it's good to talk with you, but also very stimulating and nourishing to my heart. Oh, Michael, you, as always, you know, man, I I love you, brother. You are uh, a beacon in, uh, in my life and have been, long been a fount of comfort and, uh, and kindness. Well, love you too. Stay safe in Florida. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. Thank you. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. Duck. How some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.